Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Well, good morning, and it is my joy also to extend my welcome to all of you who are here to celebrate uh, this December 2012 graduation. I certainly want to extend uh, in advance congratulations to all these graduates. Uh, very proud of you and very grateful for you. And to also say thank you to uh, the parents who have entrusted uh, their sons and daughters to us and uh, have believed in what Southeastern Seminary stands for and what we're about. And also, let me say thank you to the mates and, and to the children who uh, I know from experience uh, pay a heavy price and uh, make great sacrifices for you to do what you're doing in terms of preparing for ministry. Uh, it is my assignment at this time to bring a charge to the graduates, but also a challenge to uh, all of us who are here this morning. And uh, there's a single verse, uh, many single verses in the Bible that especially uh, bless me and bring joy to my heart. But there's one in particular that I want to draw attention to. It's perhaps one of the most important verses in all the Bible. And if you had to pick a single verse that captured the essence of what Mark's gospel is about and maybe even what the gospel itself is about, you would find it in chapter 10 and verse 45. And again, hear the word of the Lord. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Sent to serve. Because Jesus came, we must go. John Keith Falconer lived from 1856 to 1887. Uh, he would die at the age of 32. He was a missionary to Yemen from the country of Scotland. He was a Cambridge Professor, a, a phenomenal intellect. He was also a champion cyclist. In fact, he won the world title in 1878. But he would leave that uh, career that uh, was so promising. He would leave that professorship in Cambridge. And he would go to the mission field in Yemen with his wife, Gwendolyn. Uh, once he arrived there, he began to faithfully preach the gospel. Within a six-month period of time, he founded an orphanage. But in the strange and mysterious province of God, he contracted malaria. Uh, he would then die at the age of 32. He had been married for only three years. His biographer, Robert Sinker, wrote of John Falconer, A career of exceptional promise was early closed in the death of John Keith Falconer. The beauty of his character, his ardent missionary zeal, his great learning form a combination rarely equaled how noble a life was his. When John Falconer was asked, why are you leaving England? Why are you leaving Cambridge? Why would you leave behind an athletic career that is still uh, many years yet to be continued? Why would you leave all of that? John Falconer made a very famous statement that has encouraged missionaries around the world for many, many years. He said, and I quote, I have but one candle of life to burn. 
And I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. Now, you might ask the question this morning, where in the world would John Falconer get such a strange and radical idea? And I think I would say he got it from another 30-year-old who also left the most magnificent land of light and glory and brilliance to come down here in a land of darkness to burn out the single candle of his life. I think he got it from the Lord Jesus Christ. William Lane says that when you come to Mark chapter 10 and verse 35, you encounter the reversal of all human ideas of greatness and rank. That is what was achieved when Jesus came, not to be served, but to serve. John Piper says Mark 10.45 is what turns Christianity into a gospel. It's what moves it out of the category of mere religion to a vibrant, life-changing relationship grounded in the good news that God indeed has come down here where we are. Because He has come, we must go. And I believe Jesus Himself put it in proper perspective when He said in John chapter 10 and verse 18, No one takes my life from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, this charge I have received from my Father. And so as the ransom, as the text says, He gave His life as a ransom for many. Yes, indeed, He is the payment for all of our sins, for the sins of the world. But also, you know the context. Uh, You know that right before this is the story of uh, James and John who actually sent their mama to go to Jesus and say, we'd like to sit on the left hand, we'd like to sit on the right hand. And Jesus then sits them down and says, look, your way of understanding true greatness may be in concert with the world, but it's not my way. If you want to be great, you need to be a servant. If you want to be great, you need to become a slave of all. And so what is it that we learn from the example of Jesus in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 that I hope will encourage you, challenge you, and accompany you all the days that you serve our Lord? Just two very simple propositions drawn right out of the text. First of all, you need to follow Christ in your service. The text begins, for even the Son of Man. That phrase, for even, emphasizes the remarkable humility and service of the One who came. This is God in the flesh. This is the Father's delight. This is heaven's King. For even the Son of Man, one who should rightly be honored and served, came into this world to honor us and to serve us. For even the Son of Man. Didn't you enjoy taking hermeneutics? Didn't you enjoy taking Bible interpretation? Because there you were probably confronted pretty quickly with the fact that in many instances you had not really handled the Bible as you ought to. You, you had not really thought in terms of a grand redemptive storyline of, of creation and, and fall and redemption and new creation that gives us the big story of the Bible. You had not yet learned the importance until then of what we call intercanonical connections that helps us understand that the Bible interprets the Bible better than any other source and that there are many times preceding ideas that come to fruition later in the unfolding of the divine revelation. Many times people hear that phrase, Son of Man, and they think, oh, that is simply emphasizing the fact that Jesus was a man, but you now 
know better than that, don't you? At least I hope that you do. Because you learned in your studies that, no, actually, he was picking a title out of Daniel chapter 7, where this mysterious, majestic, divine figure comes to the Ancient of Days and receives all the glory and all the kingdoms of the world. And you learn that of all the titles that are applied to Jesus in the Bible, his own favorite title was the Son of Man. And what happens here in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 is absolutely remarkable and it's exactly at the heart of the grand redemptive story because Jesus does something different than what they were expecting. They were expecting, as we know, a great conquering military Messiah, but he weds the Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7 to the servant of Isaiah chapter 53 and he completely redefines and sets upside down their conception of the Messiah. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Is Jesus the promised King? Yes. But he'll be a suffering King. Is he indeed the Messiah? Yes. But he will be a servant Messiah. You see, that's really what Christmas is all about, isn't it? It's about this one who is the Son of God, who existed eternally with the Father. As Hebrews says, He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And yet He took on human nature. He came down here where we are and He became a man and He walked among us. It's about the birth of a baby boy born by a virgin, conceived not sexually, but conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit so that He is indeed the Son of God. Not in the way that we can become sons and daughters of God by trusting in Him and believing Him, but no, He is the the Son of God in an utterly unique kind of a way. No, it's about the coming of a man named Jesus, whom Colossians 2 verse 9 says, All the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell in Him. No, it's Christmas is about the coming of what Galatians calls the fullness of time that had been prophesied throughout the totality of the Old Testament. It's about a ruler who would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 promised that. It's about a child who would be born, who would receive the titles, the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 promised that. It's about a Messiah, an anointed one, a shoot from the stem of Jesse, a greater son of David, a great king. Isaiah chapter 11 and Zechariah chapter 9 promise that. No, Christmas is really all about the coming of the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So what's the relevance for me and for you and for all of us who are here today? It's really simple, isn't it? If he serves, then we must serve. If he gives, we must give. If he stoops down to serve others, then we should stoop down as well. Because he came, we must go. And as we go, what are we doing? We're pointing people to him. C.J. Mahaney is a good friend to many of us, and in his very wonderful book, Humility, True Greatness, he simply says this, Ultimately, our Christian service exists only to draw attention to him, to our crucified and risen Lord who gave himself as the ransom for all. 
And so because he came and served, we too are to go and serve and go where? Wherever he sends you. If it's a hard place, then you go to the hard place. If it's a dangerous place, you go to the dangerous place. Uh, Is it to go into a place of darkness and burn out the candle of your life forever? How long God gives you? Maybe 30 years, maybe 50, maybe 80. As, As he said to Peter when he was asking about the destiny of the Apostle John, that's God's business. It is not your business or my business, either one, to determine where we go or two, to determine how long we stay. That's God's business. And I really love what the missionary C.T. Studd said, and I quote, Some wish to stay within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I'd rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. I like that. I think that's exactly where we would find a good place to serve. So first of all, follow Christ in your service. Secondly, follow Christ in your sacrifice. For the Son of Man came, Tim Keller rightly says, there's a strong giveaway that he existed before he was born. Indeed, he was in eternal existence before he was born. He came to what? To give his life. It's not a life that was taken. Uh, Recently, I've been in some dialogue with some different friends who talk about how untoward the Christian worldview is of 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 a mean, vindictive, cruel God who would torture his son against his will. Let's make it clear. His son and his father, the two were in perfect harmony in the drama of redemption. He was not tortured. He gave willingly. He came willingly. He came not to live his life, but he came to give his life. And he came not in spite of God's love. He came because of God's love. One theologian said it so well. The cross is the self-substitution of God for sinful humanity. May we never forget that that babe in the manger was God. And may we never forget that that person hanging on the cross was God. He was indeed the God-man who gave his life a ransom. Again, theologians have referred to this as the wonderful exchange. The life that we should have lived, he lived in our place. And the payment for sin that we should have paid, he paid for us as our ransom. Now, why does he use the word ransom? Because the word means a payment. Sin cost. Sin requires a payment. And he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You know, it's worth asking the question, why did we need a ransom? Why do I need a ransom? Why do you need a ransom? Why does every one of you that is here today, why do you need a ransom? Well, I'll tell you why. Because you gladly and willingly and joyfully sold yourself into the bondage of slavery to sin. And you did so of your own free choosing. You chose to be a slave of sin. You chose to align yourself against God. You chose to go your way rather than His way. And in essence, you substituted yourself for God. And as a result of that, you were in slavery. Oh, you said, no, I'm free. Oh, you're not free. You said, well, I do what I want to do. Well, then you're a slave to yourself, the most cruel of all taskmasters. 
No, we had sold ourselves willingly into the slavery of sin. Our masters now were sin, death, hell, and the grave. But when Christ came and paid in full and paid perfectly that penalty for sin, sin had to let us go, Satan had to let us go, hell had to let us go. And one of these days, brothers and sisters, the grave will let us go as well. He has accomplished all of that for us in his ransom. Again, righteousness demanded it, but love provided it. And we who have been set free from sin have not only been freed, but we've been invited into a family. Isn't that amazing? He didn't set us free simply to go our own way, but he set us free and invited us into the Father's house. I love Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as his sons. We had run away like fools and sold ourselves to Satan and slavery. And Jesus saw our pitiful and hopeless situation, paid the ransom, redeemed us out of slavery, and brought us into the Father's house as his children. I think the hymn writer said it so beautifully, Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be, hallelujah, what a Savior. Can we atone for sin? No. But we can act. Can we save others? No. But we can serve, and if necessary, even to the laying down of our lives, that they might be saved. Sam Jones was a wonderful Methodist evangelist, and he said it like this, If I had a thousand tongues, they should all talk of Christ. If I had a thousand hands, they should all work for Christ. If I had a thousand feet, I would put them all in service for Christ. This morning, as I got up quite early, I picked up my cell phone and began to thumb through my emails, and I came across one that came from someone who sat exactly where you're sitting just a couple of years ago. Uh, They are now serving the Lord in one of those dark places, in one of those dangerous places. And uh, they had this two paragraphs in the newsletter that I thought so appropriately... um, complimented what I'm trying to say this morning. This month holds two birthdays that are an interesting contrast for us. The first came on December the 13th, the 76th birthday of the Aga Khan. He is the head of Ismaili Islam, the religion that is dominant in our part of the world, and he is viewed as a living prophet. He is one of the wealthiest royals in the world. He lives in England primarily with estates all over the world. He travels in his own private jet, and he is well known for his racehorses. A rather liberal Muslim, he advocates for the education of women and tolerance of other faiths. He claims that as his followers obey his pronouncements and worship Allah, that they will be promised a home with God forever. Thus the promises of Aga Khan. The other birthday this month is for a very different religious figure. He was not born into wealth and power, 
but to a poor family of a persecuted people. He was not the son of a known king, but he was conceived in questionable circumstances, to say the least. He was not famous and wealthy, but lived in a nearly homeless state and was unknown in his life outside his own country. He is so unknown that we don't even know for sure the date of his birth or death, but celebrate them on days selected long after he lived. He died penniless, a brutal criminal's death, and even his clothes were gambled away. Yet his claims are even more great than those of the Aga Khan. He does not claim to know the path to heaven, but to actually be the path to heaven. He is not merely the descendant of a prophet, but the son of God who calls the prophets. He does not just point people to worship God, but to worship him as God. He doesn't say just call, and he doesn't just call us to obey and be saved, but he calls us to repent from ourselves and trust in his sacrifice. That indeed is what Jesus Christ calls every single one of us in this room to do today. Some of you that are here today are not Christians. I know that because we prayed for you yesterday. I always ask every graduating class, tomorrow when we celebrate your graduation, will any of you have uh, moms and dads, brothers and sisters, family members or friends who will be here who've never trusted Christ and I guess yesterday, probably two-thirds of the uh, graduating students raised their hand. And so I made them a promise that I'm going to keep right now, and that is this. I want to invite you this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, to make what I know is the most important decision a person will ever make in all of life. You say, well, Danny, I didn't come here to get saved. I know that, but God brought you here to get saved. He's that kind of God. He shows up when you don't expect him, and he surprises you in ways that you could never imagine. And what I've read this morning is for you. For even the Lord Jesus, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve, to serve you. And he came to give his life as a perfect ransom and a perfect payment for you. You say, what does he invite me or ask me to do? He asks you to repent of your sin and to trust him and him only as your Savior. I've got some wonderful news for you. The Bible makes it crystal clear. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And you'll be saved not tomorrow, not next week, but the very moment that you call upon the name of the Lord. And all of a sudden, a miraculous transition takes place, and now your future is turned upside down, and no longer are you headed to a place called hell but now you have the promise of a place called heaven. And no longer do you have to be burdened by your sin because he gladly took that full burden upon himself when he paid the price as your ransom. And so this morning, right now, for just a moment, I want to ask you to, to bow your head, and if you would honor me, close your eyes. And what I'm going to do is what a wonderful man named Billy Graham has done hundreds and hundreds of times throughout the life of his ministry, I'm going to lead in what we call a sinner's prayer. Now, hear me and hear me well. There's nothing magical about this prayer. There's nothing magical about the words. What matters is your heart. 
What matters is what are you doing on the inside in your soul? But the words have a way of expressing to the Lord in a concrete and tangible way what is indeed transpiring in your heart. And so this morning, if you're here, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a friend, and you know that you need Christ, and you understand this morning in a brand new way how much He loves you and the fact that He died just for you, I'm going to ask you in your heart, you don't have to voice it out loud, though you're certainly welcome to do so, but I'm going to invite you simply to pray this prayer in your heart right now to the Lord. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that you paid my ransom to set me free from my sin. Thank you for living the life I should have lived but didn't. And thank you for paying the price for my sin so that I don't have to. I repent and turn from my sin. And I put all of my trust and faith in you. Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, save me. And precious Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that any man, woman, boy, or girl who just prayed that prayer from their heart, you have heard You have answered and you have saved. And I am so grateful, Lord, that salvation is indeed a free gift offered to all who will call upon the name of the Lord. And, Father, I thank you that you have now turned lives completely around and you have birthed within them through your spirit new life in Jesus. And, Lord, may it be that following this graduation, might they find that graduate that they came to honor today and and hug their neck and congratulate them. But, Lord, may they also share with them uh, just a few minutes ago when when, when Danny uh, led in that prayer. I want you to know something. I prayed to receive Christ. And I now know the same Jesus that you love and adore. I now understand really for the first time why you have given your life to this calling. Lord, I know what a blessing that would be to these graduates. I know what a blessing would be to the angels in heaven. But most of all, I know what delight it brings to the heart of the Lord Jesus. So, Father, thank you that the price has been paid in full by King Jesus. May we who know that wonderful experience be quick and ready and faithful to serve and to sacrifice wherever it is that you call us to go. And we ask and pray this in his saving name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost, dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us. 
in our chapel services.